BDFM. Welcome to BDFM. I'm D. I am B. This is a podcast about TV and and uh, science and philosophy and uh, lettuce and spinach, kale usually, Pilates versus uh, Tai Chi, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gender. We're gonna get into a little battle of the. Uh, Sexes, no, battle of the exes. This, <laughs> it's not really a gender battle. It, it sort of is. There's oh, this is our our solstice episode, by the way. Happy solstice, everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there's other holidays around right now, but most of them are based roughly on the fact all based that, on solstice. Uh, that the days solstice. have gotten shorter and the nights longer up until now. Then there's a point at which that reverses. There's and a bunch we... of holidays that all pretty much stole solstice, <laughs> solstice from the pagans. So let's give uh, tribute where tribute is due. And uh, so I think we're, we're kind of uh, talking about family because we, we picked some sort of family episodes of mm-hmm. TV this week. A little bit, yeah. As, you know what they say. The holidays would be great without the family. <laughs> <laughs> I chose uh, an episode of the family sitcom Fresh Off the Boat. I remembered that there was a scene in which they discussed why their family doesn't believe in dishwashers. And as mm-hmm. I was washing the dishes the other day, I don't have a dishwasher in my house. Me um, either. We're the last two people in America that don't. <laughs> but um, But I've lived so many years of my life without one. So many more years of my life have been spent washing dishes by hand than have been spent loading a dishwasher yeah me too Um, and partially because and maybe we'll get into this more in depth but (laughs) when i was a kid dishwashers didn't work that well so the Mm -hmm. mantra was Mm -hmm. don't put that dirty dish in there yes when i was a kid we would wash not just rinse but scrub every dish and then put it in the dishwasher and then when i was 19 18 left home Mm-hmm. I never wanted a dishwasher again because I thought, what a <laughs> what a ripoff those are. I'll just yeah. wash the dishes once. I don't need a dishwasher to yeah. finish them off for me. So I've never had one since. <laughs> Whereas now but, they can like but now, sanitize. But now, so the I hear, the they're so good mm-hmm. that you can put anything in there. So this episode of Fresh Off the Boat features a dishwasher in the beginning as sort of a metaphor for the immigrant experience in terms of like, what's expected of you in terms of work work ethic. Yeah, I've definitely lived with a non-functional dishwasher that has been just used as a drying rack. That has been something that my family did. Sure. Um, I wasn't like raised to never use a dishwasher, but it definitely was like, that's never going to get it completely clean. <laughs> right. That's kind of how my parents were. And my grandparents definitely did not use a dishwasher. They were very old school Italian it was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like the grandma. Grandma Long says, I think having a drying rack makes you soft. Yeah, exactly. She's like, she's like, she's like you wash the dish and you dry the dish and you put it away. And my my <laughs> grandma would put the dishes in the oven and eat, I guess dry them off in there or just maybe just. Just stack them up? Just, the <laughs> just let wow. them dry on the oven rack. But she would also Brilliant. do, like she would, um, I remember her um, drying paper towels in the oven. Huh. Like drying them on a cookie sheet so they could sure. be reused. Sure. <laughs> which is sure. really gross. <laughs> Very That's unsanitary, great. Grandma. But I was like, why is Grandma doing that? And I remember my dad's like, oh, she lived in the Great Depression. She doesn't waste anything. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a connection between uh, having, uh, having older relatives that lived through a depression or uh, came over as immigrants from a country where maybe they were experiencing hardship. Yeah. I think it's it's like a small C conservatism. It's not like, not political conservatism, but it's this old like work ethic conservatism that mm-hmm. we aren't going to get soft by using machines to yes, do exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah. So that was what inspired me to bring on uh, that episode. It's called Living While Eddie, and it sort of explores how Eddie feels like he's always being profiled and how everything is being blamed on him including the fact that somebody did the dishes in the dishwasher <laughs> because the kids found out that the dishwasher is not just a drying rack but can wash the dishes. He gets in trouble. And uh, Meanwhile, there's this whole uh, David Wayne is trying to shoot an infomercial at, at the restaurant. We'll get into it. We'll uh, come back and uh, summarize it after the break. It's going to be season three, episode 15 of Fresh Off the Boat, Living While Eddie. And my pick this week, Cheers. I wanted to watch Cheers partially because we just lost uh, Kirstie Alley. 
And even though I didn't pick a Kirstie Alley episode because <laughs> the the earlier seasons of Cheers might have been a little bit better. Um, I don't know. They were all pretty solid, I guess. But um, I picked this classic episode because I remember thinking while watching this when I was younger that in Cheers, there are no people of color, unfortunately. I'm not saying that's a good thing. And, and the Italians in the show are the sort of other side of the tracks. They're sort of the lowest social class in Boston, according mm-hmm. to this show. There's no other races that are non-white depicted ever. Yeah, there's but, no black clientele of Cheers. But and, and this is kind of how I felt in the Midwest, too. Like, we were the swore the Italians. And it, was diff- it felt different than, you know, all the white people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we felt different, even though there was no, like... There was no real uh, people of color in my high school. It was a very rural white high school, but the Italians mm-hmm. were sort of the, the lowest class. As on TV in the 90s, Italians and certain other immigrant groups can sort of uh, stand in for black people in terms of like being racialized, being being. We're uh, not going to cast down. blacks or Hispanics on this show. Yeah, like that's a bridge too far. <laughs> but, like, like, come on, let's not go crazy. But, uh, but, you know, we'll get the swarthiest Italians we can find and yeah. make them. Or like a Polish guy <laughs> or something, you know. But I mean, of course, like. An immigrant. Not to forget that there were a lot of, we there were great sitcoms that revolved around black families in the 1970s and, oh, yeah. and on. And that's always been. It's just that in, in white sitcoms, in the whiter sitcoms, they yeah. sort of present a much whiter experience of New York as a city, for example, in Seinfeld or Friends. Yeah. And we saw a commercial. So this was definitely during the time of 227 and Martin. And um, there were good black sitcoms happening, but they weren't on like Thursday Night NBC. That was like all white sitcoms with Italian criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, all that said, Cheers was good. And this was one where Rhea Perlman, the matriarch <laughs> of the criminal base of Boston, is jealous because her ex-husband Nick, played by Dan Hedaya, is getting married to this statuesque blonde Swedish mm-hmm. model. So Ted Danson helps her get revenge. Sam and Carla pose as a couple to make Nick jealous. So this is Cheers, season two, episode 13, Battle of the Exes. You can watch that on Peacock. And uh, if you go to our Patreon, you can do a watch along with us. We will we recorded audio of us watching it. So if you have two devices, you can watch the show. You can listen to us watch the show. Otherwise, just forget you heard that. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will summarize Fresh Off the Boat and cheers. See you then. Cheers. EDFM is brought to you by... Worsehelp.net. Listen, when it's the holiday season and you're getting stressed out, there's a lot going on, we all need someone to talk to about our problems. And, um... It would be a good idea to find a real therapist or some kind of therapy service, but if you just can't be bothered to do that, try worsehelp.net. Worsehelp won't do anything. It's terrible. It's just but people... <laughs> listen, it's basically the comment section on a YouTube video. It's literally the worst help. The worst type of people. You can get. It's like the sort of person who's just... They're going to scream at you. <laughs> They'll give you bad advice. It's sort uh, worse of help. It's it might work for you if you're the sort of person who needs reverse psychology. You know, kind of like yeah. I know that if somebody tells me something, I'm never gonna do that thing. You know, I don't like being told what to do. So maybe try this. They're gonna tell you, eat wrong and don't exercise. You've tried um, the best. Text our now AI to get worst help. AI generated negative therapy. With uh, no repercussions today. Go to Worst Help. That's W-O-R-S-T-H-E-L-P dot com. Not to be confused with Wursthelpe. That is a German site where you they can have great get recipes. help for your sausage recipes. That's Welcome the Cheers back. theme. <laughs> Famous for being Cheers' theme. <laughs> We're back, BDFM. We're, we just watched Fresh Off the Boat and Cheers. Two great sitcoms. Known as uh, Salud in uh, in Spain. Prost in Germany. Kumpai. Nostrov. Nostrovia. Cheers. It's a great name for a bar. As Orson Welles said to Peter Bogdanovich when he said he was going to make a movie called Paper Moon, 
That title's so good, you don't even need to make the picture. <laughs> what a good uh, name. And by the way, great Orson Welles impression. <laughs> I have no, no I'm sorry. I totally forgot who I was talking about. Maybe it wasn't Orson Welles. Hey. hey. I can't do it. Hey, look at me, everybody. I'm the third <laughs> hey, man over here. Hey, it's me, Orson Welles. This, hey, this is how I talk, everybody. You see those two guys? I'm the third one. <laughs> Hey, if you see two hey. guys, I'm in the third one. I'm uh, living in Xanadu over here. Anyway, um, the point is Cheers, great title. Cheers is a great title yeah. for a show because it's the best name you well, could ever give a bar. The whole premise is right there. And as I was, I was pointing out, like before the advent of single camera follow shows where you go to real locations was mm-hmm. the the multi-camera sitcom in front of a studio audience and they never leave they have two sets all the exteriors are are just stock footage basically of an Mm -hmm. outside of a bar and every single scene is in the bar or in the office i think in the whole run of cheers maybe they leave like three times or something Mm -hmm. maybe once a season Uh, that might be generous but yeah that's that's the old way of doing sitcoms is just you have a place and they they talk about things and then if there's a big event like a wedding, they mm-hmm. go to it and you don't see what happens and they come back and they talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is old school. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're going to do a, uh, a quick under three second summary. <laughs> and you have to set your podcast speed to one tenth oh to actually hear what we're going to say. <laughs> um, okay, do you want to give your uh, roundup of Fresh Off the Boat, season three, episode 15, Living Well, Eddie? Well, this episode begins with the father, played by Randall Park, announcing that there's going to be an infomercial shot at his restaurant, which is called Cattleman's Ranch. (laughs) And David Wayne agreed to pay him basically for the day to Mm -hmm. rent out the Cattleman restaurant. To use it as a location. To use it as a location for the egg. No, the onion. No. (laughs) Yes, it's an onion gun. gun. It's an onion gun. And they called it the ungun, Randall Park says. What about gunion? They call it the gunion. David Wayne just stares at him and says, hey, where were you? (laughs) This is sort of his big chance to be an actor. He gets to be in the commercial and he's trying desperately to get through one line. Randall Park's character, yes. Yes. He's trying to say, onions, shallots, and scallions, it cuts all. (laughs) All of them. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. He just can't get to it. So uh, what happens there is that his son, who's also on set with him in the restaurant, ends up essentially like pitching himself to replace his dad. The second son, it's not Eddie. Right. The main, most of the stories are about Eddie. He's the narrator. So the second son. Emery. Emery. Emery is the middle kid. I've never heard them say Emery. And the youngest is is Evan. Wow. The two little teeny ones. Eddie, Emery, and Evan? Mm -hmm. I never even picked that up. So Emery comes in and totally takes over his dad's role as the salad eater in the commercial, but uh, he also isn't really getting through it. He's he's having he's struggling. He's nervous, and he can't well, stop blinking. The dad and the kid keep trying to undermine each other by saying they keep trying to put each other in their heads by saying like a million people are going to watch this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While all this is happening, earlier in the episode, one of the boys comes to Eddie and says, "I just had lunch at my white friend Zach's house." And I saw something there. We flashed to him having lunch with this white family. And afterwards, the mom loads the dishwasher with a bunch of dirty plates. She doesn't wash them. She doesn't even rinse them and starts the dishwasher. And uh, the kid is astonished because in the Wong's household, they do have a dishwasher, but none of the kids have ever known that it they can call wash it the dishes. Rack. They call it the drying rack. And uh, Constance Wu's character has put tape over the controls so they can't even see that. It's a dishwasher. When they ask her about it, she says that Chinese people don't believe in using dishwashers and it's disrespectful to the China. It's disrespectful to the dishes to wash them in such a way. And That's why they call them China. <laughs> says, so we respect the dishes more than any other culture. That's why we call it China. She believes that using a dishwasher is going to make the kids soft, which there's an argument to be made that kids should learn how to wash dishes properly. Maybe. You know. You should also learn how to churn butter, I guess, if you want. <laughs> and But then the grandma says, who, who's um, Randall Park's mom, I think, uh, says, uh, oh, we th- I think having a drying rack makes you soft. So she's like, I'm even more conservative than you are on this issue. Mm-hmm. The kids end up running the dishwasher at some point. Mom goes to Eddie and she accuses him of running the dishwasher. He swears that he didn't do it. He says, you're always profiling me. 
ever anything happens, you say that it was my fault. The episode is about him being blamed for various things, culminating in his being detained for suspected shoplifting at a store in the mall. Yeah, I missed that. He was, I think there was some setup where he had to go, he wanted to go sell an old soundtrack. Yeah, I kind of missed it as well. For some reason, he had, he had his own CD that he owned. So he got detained for quote unquote stealing, but he says, I was just bringing this CD. Uh, Also, the guy at the store, the security guy was like, there's no way of telling if you stole it or not. Therefore, I'm calling the police. And I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense. There's no way of knowing. Yeah, it doesn't. If there's no way of knowing, then you have to let him go. And then he argues that there is a way of knowing, which is that he knows exactly when the the CD skips or whatever. He's trying to make an argument. Uh, Which feels very written, but sure. Yeah. And eventually the mother. So eventually Jessica accuses the guy of of profiling him because he's Asian American and saying that she's basically going to sue. So it was basically a way for her to get on the same side as her son and be like, mm-hmm. okay, I trust you now. Yeah. And I could, I see that you are wrongfully accused here and maybe I should be a little. Yeah. And he reveals to her that sometimes he actually hasn't done the thing wrong, but he's really just taking he the blame the for fall. his brother. He takes the fall sometimes like in the, in the case of, somebody eating her breakfast papaya it actually wasn't him but he took the fall for it because sort of the one who gets blamed for things so he can kind of afford it the way he said it was like evan doesn't have a record or he's got a clean (laughs) record so basically he was taking the the fall for his brother yeah so it doesn't have a blotch on his record because he's the badass brother Mm -hmm. they end up talking to each other about when it's appropriate to lie because she lied to them about the dishwasher and he lied to her about, you know, trying to protect his little brother. And uh, she says there's something called a white lie. And that's a lie that protects you from all the things that make white people soft. Ha! Yes. Uh, that's the and best it's line. Just, it's, uh, it's brilliant. And then we see that David Wayne has cut the infomercial and cut both the father and son who were competing to be in it out of the infomercial, except he uses their bloopers, their outtakes to make them look like idiots. Yeah. So they're in the, it's, it's like instant karma. They're in the black and white portion of the infomercial where the people are like, there's got to be a better Can way. You not and do they're, like, they're right? like hurting themselves being so stupid <laughs> in terms of what they're doing. It's not at all what they were hoping for. So yeah, that was, was going a, in there. Um, the button of it Reese, all Reese is... Darby uh, from uh, Flight of the Concords makes a hilarious appearance mm-hmm. as the star of the infomercial. Reese Darby David is Wayne, really, yeah. obviously from the state, and uh, Stella is the director. My friend Chris Corbin, um, uh, who I've mm-hmm. done a sketch comedy with at the Pack Theater in L.A., was in it. He in had a, a very, part. very funny bit, maybe the funniest bit, which is when she hears, when Jessica hears that Eddie has been detained for shoplifting at this place. It's called Razor Razor Punk <laughs> Games or whatever the hell it's called. Um, she runs over to, she runs over there and she's like, isn't this the place you just called me and said my son is detained? And he's like, what? Oh, there's another location. It's in the mall. <laughs> she just like stares at him. And then she just goes to the mall location. And it's like his, yeah, his bit part. It's like one pointless. It's really it's like funny. A... Okay. Fresh off the boat. Okay, and we also mm-hmm. watched Cheers, Season 2, Episode 13, Battle of the Exes, because I wanted to check in on the Rhea Perlman family. Um, this one centers on waitress Carla, who's played by Rhea Perlman, mm-hmm. who I just picture with Danny DeVito. <laughs> like <laughs> After this shoot, she went home and had dinner with Danny DeVito. <laughs> Wife of Danny DeVito, then. They, I think they've divorced, but they're still, like, good friends. I don't know. Oh, is that so? Yeah. Aside, doesn't matter. So this was probably in the, oh, eight, no, 82 to, oh, this was 84. Holy shit. This is earlier than I thought. Cheers ran from 82 to 93, so this was about 84. Wow. Suddenly Reagan era. Even though we, we just lost uh, uh, Kirstie Alley, she was great uh, in later Cheers. This was a Diane and Sam episode. Mm-hmm. Sam and Diane are a couple in this episode. Yeah, one of the rare moments when the two of them are happily as a couple. Mm-hmm. But though... he kisses Carla <laughs> in this one. It's um, true. I did not remember that this happened. So it starts out, Carla's all upset. And she storms in um, to the only set in the show, which is the bar. <laughs> and she beats up Norm. And then she beats up like three other people. 
uh, whatever, like some random strangers, like I'm a crisis doctor <laughs> and I'm just going to, and he like walks into the office and then he comes back with his sweater pulled over his head. And then, oh, coach is like, I, I could fix this. I know Carla like the back of my hand. And then he looks at the back of his hand and he's like, what the hell is that? And he walks away. <laughs> That's a great joke. Uh, <laughs> um, finally, Sam gets it out of her that she's upset that her, her ex-husband, Nick, played by Dan Hedaya, character actor extraordinaire is getting married and she's jealous and she and the wedding's tonight and she's invited but she doesn't want to go but she kind of does but she doesn't mm -hmm. so finally sam and diane are supposed to go off to a romantic weekend together but nick the husband shows up at the bar with his fiance this blonde a Swedish model who's a foot and a half taller than him. <laughs> and um, Carla and Sam and Diane are there and they get so upset that they just, they make up this lie that Sam and Carla are a mm -hmm. couple. Classic sitcom trope. They're mm -hmm. pretending to be a couple to make someone else jealous. So um, they go to the wedding. We don't see the wedding. We just see the aftermath uh, <laughs> at the bar. Is there a B story to this? There's a little story about Cliff Clabin um, thinking he lost his looks because some girl goes, there oh, used yeah. to be a guy who drank here who was really handsome. Oh, yeah. She was like, his she's name like was Sam's not the Cliff handsomest guy. Clabin, I think. Yeah. And Cl then Cliff's like, oh, man, well, did I used to be handsome and lost it? And then Norb's <laughs> like, no, you're thinking of Cliff Clemens. He was really <laughs> handsome. And Cliff's like, phew, I didn't lose it. I never had it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And then uh, they show Cliff getting wasted as the bar oh, shuts down. Right. There is one scene where uh, yeah, Cliff is, is wasted and Norm is driving. He's is so driving drunk. Him home. Norm's going to drive him home, which is iffy because Norm seems Norm to is never not drinking pretty Probably solidly. be drunk too. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's the, there's a very razor thin B story, but almost the whole story is about Carla and her husband and Sam. So they get back after the wedding. Sam and Carla had a great time. They're they're laughing about it. She's still sort of um, hung up on her ex. And then Nick and his new wife bust into the bar on their way to their honeymoon. And he's mm -hmm. like... On their way to take a bus to their honeymoon. To bus to their honeymoon. <laughs> Did they say where they're going to go? It's like Jersey or something? Maybe. I don't even know. She just says, we're going to miss the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um. And Nick and it worked. Nick is very jealous, and he's like, um, he he said, "I want you back," to Carla, and she says, "Fat chance." So Nick leaves, and then Carla says to Sam, "Oh, he just wanted me because he saw me with you, and he's jealous." And then they kiss. Sam and Rhea mm -hmm. Perlman, Sam and Carla, have a little smooch, and then they both kind of go. Mm. Just wanted to see what that'd be like, and then they shake yeah. hands and walk away. Although Ted Danson is definitely playing it like I definitely will fuck I her would. if she's if she's into this. Like I could keep going on with this. He's always like I would, even though he's like literally about to go on a on vacation with his girlfriend who is coming back to the bar. Except I don't know if he was ever given that information. There was a bit of a like. I don't know. I it's really strangely... thought she was going to walk in on them for that reason. They didn't have Diane walk in on the kiss. I thought that would have been a good cliffhanger. Yeah, but it, I guess they, I kind of almost appreciated that because it was like, it was like they, they avoided they didn't that do trope. The, they so didn't they do actually, the cliche. Yeah. So they actually let the two characters who kissed discuss it and be like, oh, it's kind of weird that we just did that, but I am we, there is sort of an attraction now, kind of, because we know each other so well and we were, we've been so physical all day. They just really like each other, yeah. but you know they're not going to yeah. go on. Um. Interesting. And then Diane does bust in and she's like, she goes, we did a great thing. You know, the three of us together, we came together and we made a man eat his own liver. Oh, right. No, eat his liver. Eat his liver. It's not. And, and eat I was his own liver. Yeah, you're like, right. it sounds like a horror movie thing, like like the silence of the lambs eating your own liver. Yeah. But what that term means is eat the food liver, which is good for you, yes, but doesn't yes. taste good. Eating yes. your liver is doing something. Yes, you're right. It's not eat his own liver. That's, right. that's distasteful. It's not like a horror movie thing where you have to rip out your liver and eat it. <laughs> Although right, it yes. sounds terrible. He, you're right. We made him eat liver. You're right. No. Made him eat his liver. Liver? Eat hey, his liver. It's pretty good. I like it. I actually like liver and onions. So um, basically right, that phrase 
means nothing to me. Uh, <laughs> okay, that was Cheers and Fresh Off the Boat. And, you know, we're both, I guess it's called second gen. We both have grandparents that were mm-hmm. not born in America and some well, that were. Some that were. My, technically, my, I think I might be third generation because my grandparents, my Mexican grandparents were born here, were born in Arizona. Yeah, sure. So they were they born were. Mexican American in Arizona. So I'm more of an immigrant than you. Yes. Yet definitely. I but yet I cannot get a scholarship <laughs> for my immigrant status. You neither, can't get neither, a loan. You can't get can. a business loan as a Latina woman, even though you're I more cannot, Latin than I am. I'm not considered a Latina woman. <laughs> um even though three of my grandparents were born uh, outside of the United States. So three of my grandparents were mm-hmm. immigrants. But um my mom's mom was Scottish, so she was sort of a high class immigrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A rich immigrant sure. who married a judge and lawyer, a white judge and lawyer. And then my Italian grandparents were very poor and worked their butts off through the Great Depression in uh, Chicago Heights, Illinois. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, th- it, there is definitely, um, well, there's sort of a immigrant mentality that we were both sort of grew up with, I think. Yeah, definitely my grandmother's. My white grandmother had a mother who was Eastern European and definitely had a little bit of the old world and and because of her age had lived through the depression. Um, so which one? The great one? The <laughs> she was just depressed. <laughs> <laughs> right, so she, there was a little bit of the minor that one in the 70s. Yeah, there was a lot of like no wasting anything. Both of my grandmothers kept meticulous pantries. Yeah. And there were balls exactly. of foil and uh, rubber bands in the drawer. And, like, things weren't just tossed out. And there was definitely you this know. idea of, you know, being tough and not soft and, you know, working, hard work ethic and... Yeah, maybe not so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> like They didn't seem to ever have fun. There was just a focus on, like, maybe you can have fun after you work. My grandparents spent 20 like 25 to 30 minutes every night saying the rosary and we had to like leave we had to go out outside and like play in the yard so they can wow what a memory so they can um pray the rosary together and and i I, when i would say them it was so weird you know it's very cult-like they'd just be they have their beads in their hand and they'd be saying in the name of the uh, hail mary full of grace the lord with thee they would say it so fast that the uh i don't even remember the prayers but (laughs) blessed is the, the the, Plus it is the, the fruit, fruit of made the Lord open. Womb, <laughs> the fruit of the loom underpants. In in English? No, spirit sang to. No, I think it was Italian? an Italian. See, that's another thing. My dad, my poor dad, I mean, he, he had parents that didn't speak the same language he did. And they mm-hmm. never taught him Italian. So I imagine living in the works. house with parents that you that can barely speak to you in your language. And like the intermediary would be his older sister and brother, I guess. Um, That's who, really who spoke a little Italian, but not a lot. So he grew up in a foreign mm-hmm. environment in America. Like he he yeah. he grew up so immersed in it, mm. in in like this immigrant circle of people. Like he didn't know, mm. he didn't go outside of that too much. His friends were Italian Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, Italian Catholics. But then when I, by the time I was in like high school. We moved out of the, that was sort of in, in town, not a big town, but sort of downtown uh, of the small town. And they moved outside because um, white flight of the 70s and 80s where all mm-hmm. the, the white people left the cities. My parents always, my dad always wanted to be white. Like mm. my mom's white, he married a white woman, but in, in, in his heart, he's a, an immigrant kid. Mm-hmm. And and your dad would not would like to pass. Be someone who someone with very racist views would would know that your dad is not white basically like i don't know how to put oh, it sure. but what i mean is like your dad would d- would not pass as white in every context for sure he's, he doesn't he's, look white he's, he looks um he looks like mario you know, he's not got the an crisp, olive he's got an olive pratt version <laughs> he's got an olive skin tone and his hair is very curly and you know you know, it's nice. Yeah, black curly black hair, and he had a mustache when when I was a kid. Anyway, he he could never really. They had old school views, like you know, not specifically the 
dishwasher thing, but mm. there's always that sort of old school mentality behind a lot of my upbringing. I was always very liberal and like, I'm going to go into the liberal arts and well, I always, I liked engineering and computers, but I also liked pop culture and music and film. And he never got that. That was also mm. a waste of time. And music was like, this is an old school thing. Like we, we I remember going to Pizza Hut when Thriller had just came out and I, <laughs> I used one of my quarters from my, from my allowance to play the jukebox and play Billy Jean while we Whoa. were having a family pizza. And my dad said, that's the biggest waste of a quarter ever. <laughs> and I was like, you're like, this is dad, the best song ever this written. song will have the staying power. You have no <laughs> idea how many times this song will be played. Yeah. Truly, I and mean, it's still one a great, of the biggest it's still hits one, the, ever. The best songs ever written and the best album of the 80s. I mean, it's great. But it, it, it's so old school and it made me sad. I was like, oh, you have no connection. You don't understand why I would play. I would, I would happily spend a quarter to listen to this song right now because, because you know, he just didn't listen to American music. Yeah growing up anyway i don't know where that comes from but um basically i the -hmm. thing in cheers is the italians are the most of color anyone is Mm -hmm. and that's how i felt like growing up i I went to an all-white high school where like i was the only italian catholic or maybe there was like two or three Mm -hmm. and there was one you know jewish kid and there was there was one mexican American, who's probably second generation, mm-hmm. and I think that was it. Of so the it, was, it was you, Nick Goldstein, Jose Ramirez, and, <laughs> exactly. Uh... <laughs> that was it. That was the color. That was the mm-hmm. color of Hersher High School at Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always felt like sort of one of the you know the other side of the tracks kind of people to all these literally like wasp, literally mm-hmm. wasp. They were literally wasps. They're literally wasps. <laughs> By the way, I grew up in a beehive. Yeah. yeah. So Carla's family is always committing crimes or somehow. Yeah. She's always like, I got a cousin that could steal a car for you or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. She's always talking about, you know, having my brother just got out of the pen or something. Mm-hmm. This is a classic Italian American trope. Most recently seen um, on Abbott Elementary. There's a very, very funny sicilian american woman but she's constantly going like i know a guy who's doing the reconstruction down at the stadium we need some rebar <laughs> he's just always offering to have things stolen and like it's just uh-huh. you know it's just part of her Abbott elementary might be uh, not, no shade but it definitely feels old school in the mm-hmm. cheers kind of way in the old in the welcome back cotter sort of old school like yeah Sort of dumb jokes, but likable characters. Yeah. I think it gets better. I haven't binged it all yet, but I think it gets better. And I will say no one was worried about, are the cameramen really there or not? No one was asking Modern Family these questions. So just, I mean, what are we talking about? Let it go. Modern, well, modern that's fa- why. Mo- modern Family was the first one to break that rule. And so. That really bothered me. Did it? Um, and it bothers me at Abbott Elementary, too. The stupid thing about Modern Family. Sense. Is and and you'll see this in um, competition shows now, but they'll they'll frame an event happening and then they'll have they'll have confessionals of you know Phil on the couch talking about the event. But I'm always like, when did they shoot these confessionals? Because it <laughs> seems like you shot one before you knew what was going to happen, and mm-hmm. one after you knew what was going to happen. But it's in the same clothes and then in the same position. Yeah. And you clearly shot it on the same day, but you clearly meant it to be two different confessionals that happened at yes. two different times. So I'm always like, when is all of this happening? It's like this elevation of, yeah, the the whole um, structure has become a metaphor somehow. When it yeah. was like, no, the like as dumb as the concept was, the office is a is about a documentary being shot at an office that's right. what it's about and the confessionals and go in the time that they happened in uh you know in real time they 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 go in and they comment on what's happening and they're always in a different spot in the office mm-hmm. but in modern family they're always just on the couch and it's it, true and it seems like they just 
it just seems like the confessionals are the writers co- commenting on the show. It is it is meta. It is meta in the sense that okay, we all know yeah. this structure now, so we don't care. Like you said that yeah. before, we we yeah. don't care that this doesn't make sense. Yeah, which I'm like, which and I'm just saying that because yes, it also bothers me. Like it it doesn't make sense, and like and, and I'm, Abbott, I'm the, she just talks to the camera, and you're like, like who she talking no sense. to? But I think that's kind of like it's almost like in Chicago how Roxy Hart is like I'm in a show the whole time, and she's constantly yeah. having these kind of things so it kind it's of like an annie hall there's when a little bit woody of allen steps out of line and he wa- mm. starts addressing the camera and he's like mm-hmm. can you imagine this guy said this thing to me yeah um it's, it's avant-garde but it's also it's very confusing to just assume i guess you know that's what it means getting old like the kids today will just think that's how shows are right but since right. we've watched a lot of these sort of metaphors or these show like techniques evolve we know that uh the modern family style is like a a weird rough yeah impression of the office which is a weird impression but you know even even parks and rec broke that rule i think i think that parks and rec doesn't have a framing structure that there's a documentary going on like no i don't think they, they ever... are being filmed but they also go home with people you see people but, in but she very doesn't private... talk to the camera or they have talking heads oh they're talking heads throughout. yeah they do you're right and it's so it's more of an abbott elementary so i think that's why i just don't want so much shade to be thrown on abbott elementary when it's like they're just doing what parks and rec did but, but anyway, anyway we'll talk about that <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to abbott elementary anyway yeah. i mean tell me why you picked fresh off the boat what does it remind you of? well i was um Doing the dishes and thinking about how I didn't have a dishwasher. And uh, what I remembered was going out to eat in high school with a group of friends. And um, a friend of mine saying, whoa, don't drink. Don't drink out of your glass without using a straw. He's like, you know how, do you know how they wash the glasses in here? They use a dishwasher. (laughs) He was like, do you know they use a dishwasher at restaurant to wash the dishes and the way and his the look on his face was like you know those don't work were they an immigrant family yes he was a he was a uh filipino kid oh and there's a lot to what chores you're expected to do what chores you're expected to be able to do uh and at what age and uh i think that is informed by how close you are to the immigrant experience in some capacity is it? I mean, maybe. Maybe I, a little bit. I think I'm sure there's a lot of families whose families have been in the U.S. for many, many years. I mean, it do chores and respect their dishes and stuff. But um, there is something that has to do. I mean, it's also just it overlaps with working class values of like, yeah. like take care of that sure because I don't want to have to replace that. I don't want you to break that. A lot of <laughs> plenty of white people have grandparents that are exactly the same way, mm-hmm. which are. They grew up during the Depression, or maybe they're great-grandparents at this point. Mm-hmm. They grew up during the Depression and the war, and they don't, you don't waste anything, and you don't act, you don't ask for anything, mm-hmm. and keep calm when you carry on, and you do your job, and you work really hard, and you get barely anything in return. And I'm not saying there's something to that, or there should be something to that. Maybe there is something to that because it's kind of the world we live in. But, you know, our generation was sort of promised, like, okay, you're going to go to college. I was the first one to go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad was the first one in his family to go to college, and then his kids did. And the idea was supposed to be that we go on and have an, have it easier and not have to mm-hmm. uh, toil in manual labor. Yeah, not It turns out that maybe we did have to toil in manual. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have grinded um, because we thought that the opportunity, the American dream was a little more alive than it was. I think there's a general resistance to, um, you know, the culture of the next generation. And we see it in every generation. This is why boomers and even millennials now are going, oh, oh, my God, screen time. And kids are going to look at their phones so much and they're just addicted to them. You know, like, fuck off. That's the world they <laughs> live in now. And who said it was wrong for them to look at their phones all the time? Maybe that's how you that's how you get mm-hmm. through life 
now in this society as a a 15 year old is to pay attention to what's happening Mm -hmm. more my dad only knew family growing up he only knew he had a huge family with lots of brothers and sisters and Mm -hmm. nieces and nephews and cousins and um and then they had other italian families that lived in the same neighborhood and Mm -hmm. they sort of lived in the you know the italian irish black and latin you know Mm -hmm. quarter of town where everybody was a blue collar worker at a factory Mm -hmm. my uncles all worked at the roper factory making ovens wow really um until it closed in the 80s would they be like like literally just like assembling i think they were assembly line factory workers or something or or maybe I i seem to recall my uncle sam was a maybe some sort of managerial position and then um reagan blasted through america and closed all the factories and sent them overseas and a couple of my uncles went on to become um alderman city council mm-hmm. members that's why i have some some chacho campaign pins around here mm-hmm. and that is the american dream I, I think work work in a factory and then run for office and then run for office i mean hey yeah that's one that's one version of it and they hmm. yeah it's funny they were always um the italians were always um politically kind of liberal but socially sort of conservative you know mm-hmm. it's sort of like they had to keep to your own mentality you know mm-hmm. sure it's not overtly racist like i hate x race it's more like they just prefer italians sure sure <laughs> and i had yeah. to come to terms with that like yeah there was a time when um certain older members of my family said i couldn't date outside of the white <laughs> race <laughs> and i did i dated people that weren't right white and i it was it was really sad because i couldn't share those experiences mm-hmm. with um my parents at a time and they, they've loosened up now and mm-hmm. now my brother's gay and he's married to a guy and <laughs> I'm dating you. <laughs> You're Latina. <laughs> and I have a black girlfriend that you don't know about. Just kidding. <laughs> um, the, it, there, there's this old school conservatism that was that was a very, it's a real source of friction. This mm-hmm. sort of like, you can't date that person. We don't do that. We're mm-hmm. Italian immigrants. And I'm like, eh, on, on some level, I felt like an immigrant that was different. And on some level, I just felt like a white kid that had... Yeah old school parents yeah i was thinking about how i think my mexican grandmother at least was maybe hoping for her kids to assimilate more than than to carry on any kind of tradition of mexicanness so you know all because safety all of her safety and assimilation yeah all of her daughters her two daughters ended up having kids with white dudes and you know we're all a little less Mexican than, <laughs> than her generation was. Yeah, and your kids um, are little blonde girls that. Yeah, like my, my kids are as Mexican. Norwegian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my, my kids are as Mexican as they are Irish. A quarter. Yeah, a quarter. I think they're a quarter Mexican. A quarter, if you consider me half Mexican, yeah, which I, which I would. You're half. Your mom's a mother's entirely. Half Mexican, which works out to you know mean like. An eighth. Well, same native my, and my, eighth Spanish. <laughs> my sister's kids are blonde. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're a quarter Italian. They don't, you can't see any Italian in them. They just look like white kids. I know this happens to all sort of immigrant families after a couple generations. So there, there's a real sort of fight, internal, like, I don't know, what is this? This conflict between mm-hmm. the the desire for assimilation so that we're not different yeah and my, my i've told you this i don't know if i've said it on a podcast but my my grandparents the chachos started calling themselves siasio mm-hmm. when they got to illinois because americans could say it easier for some reason it sounds yeah. crazy siasio sounds like such a crazy it's, it's way to pronounce that but they really were trying to assimilate they were really trying mm-hmm. to fit in so that they didn't get bullied yeah because they did my dad told me that you know mm-hmm. he would get bullied 
as you know goddamn italian or mm-hmm. dago yeah. or you know wop or whatever it was right. and this is i mean he got called this is not so many years after we were in a military conflict with italy a pretty major one true um I mean, he was—he's a baby boomer, so he grew up, you know, right after we <laughs> that's were not, at war with Italy. Mm-hmm. And which my, is a wild thing to think about. And um, my my dad's dad, because I because I'm fifty and my dad was fit, was forty when he had me, and his dad was fifty when he had him. Mm. There's so big gaps there that I can actually wow. say that my grandfather, my dad's dad, was in World War One, and. That that's was the one. Good. That's the one where where Italy was on our side. So yeah. he actually fought Whoa. for the U.S. Army alongside Italian troops. But then, wow. when my grandpa was fifty and my dad was being born in 1942, we're at war with Italy, and he's trying to assimilate. He's trying to not be Italian, right? Yeah. Wow. They're trying to, you know, and he was like the kind of guy that pushed. You know, you see a lot of, it's kind of a, a, a cliche of, of Latin people in, in L.A. is you'll see them pushing the ice cream carts around. Mm-hmm. That's literally what my grandpa did was mm-hmm. push around an ice cream cart and work day labor, mm-hmm. uh, hauling rocks at the quarry and stuff like that. Wow. Literally, uh, Fred Flintstone was his best friend. When they, <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they came up together. Um, prehistoric my grandfather would be 8,000 years old Mm -hmm. you know Fred Flintstone Italian coded am (laughs) I wrong Barney Rubble is a little more waspy maybe but I think they've got black hair I mean unless they're black Irish I think they're supposed to be Fred is a little bit Flint sounds pretty white Flintstone Flintstone I mean yeah it's an English name it's like White House it sounds like an English name but but you know don't forget that's just what we're labeling them after we've dug them up and uh-huh. <laughs> they're fossilized. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather was a, both of my grandfathers were in the armed services during World War II. One of them uh, trained pilots. He's, he stayed in California, but he trained pilots to go overseas. He was a flyboy. Mm. And then my other grandfather was on the ground it's a bit of an exaggeration to say he was at d-day i think he was on like day three. Oh shit um but he wasn't a part of the in- invasion of normandy and uh no wait no no i don't think it was at normandy at all i think it was it was part of that push was <laughs> it had something to do with that but uh he described himself as like the first mexican over the bridge into poland or <laughs> something and they liberated some camps and uh yeah so he then came home and Owned a, p- a plumbing... S- no, 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 not plumbing. My grandfather went into pool supply. Hmm. So he had... I just remember those little pool... Hot tub? I know, right? <laughs> it could have been a dynasty. I mean, honestly, we should have Marquez and Sons pool and supply. But my grandparents uh, opened a corner store, too, after mm-hmm. after all that. I, I don't know how he um, saved the money, but after... There, there's gaps in my knowledge <laughs> yeah. of my grandparents, but... In my mind, he went from pushing a ice cream cart around with a little bell mm-hmm. to somehow building his own house by hand and including a, a corner store that was sort of uh, attached to the house yeah. that they would sell olive oil and uh, meat. And that was a front for the mafia. <laughs> I almost asked, did he... Did they press their own olive oil? But that's almost impossible. You need so many olive trees to press a, just a little bit of oil that um, I'm assuming he He was, was an importer-exporter. He was importing it. Art Vandelay. <laughs> Anyways. The American dream and... Uh, that's our... What that even means. Our solstice special on the American <laughs> dream. Merry solstice and a happy new solstice. <laughs> to all of you, is this coming out? Yeah. When is maybe this is our new year? We're gonna do we're gonna do an alternate episode. take in case this is New Year's episode. Happy Happy New Year, everybody! Uh, happy 2024. Vote <laughs> just in case in, in case we don't edit it for a year. Oh, in case it 
in case we have one of those leap years Happy. where it skips ahead in one year on New Year's Eve. All right, well, that's what it's like to be not fresh off the boat, a few decades off the boat. <laughs> and hey, you know, when you step off the boat, step it's just off the all best the thing to do is just have a little cheers. Oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to quote the guy. No. Uh, no, what? Apocalypse Now. If you're going to get off the boat, get off all the way. Whoa. Some Somebody... W- Somebody stepped onto the dock and then fell in or something. Oh shit. Well that is that is way too uh way too relevant for tonight because uh no spoilers but Oh right. And uh we, we, we just had quite a TV moment a we, moment in we TV just history. Watched White Lotus. We should just cut we should have just made this a White Lotus special because it's all <laughs> I can think about. Um <laughs> All right, this has been BDFM. I'm D. I have been B. And the FM stands for uh, flask maker uh, both our grandparents were flask makers mm-hmm. um that's where mm-hmm. that comes from yeah that's why my my maiden name is Fleischmacher. <laughs> <laughs> okay you can find us uh at bdfm pod on uh, instagram and if twitter still exists maybe we're also at garage.tv you can go to garage.tv which is g-r-a-g-e.tv slash bdfm where you can um watch or i mean listen to the podcast but also we have the watch alongs and if you would like to contribute to our patreon go to patreon.com slash bdfm pod or you can go to garage.tv and become a subscriber and you can also watch do the watch alongs there it's true and uh we hope you'll come back to listen to us talk about more tv in the future more to come more to come let us know thus send us a tweet if there's no more tweets send us an instagram we may or may not be back next week (laughs) (laughs) okay thanks bye bye bdfm jennifer coolidge dies